This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> In late 2019, Dan Whiting asked me about doing a podcast. My reaction was, who would want to listen to us and what would we even talk about? It's now January 2022 and this is episode 100 of Half Measures and here is the guy that wrote me into the 100 episode contract. It's Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. Congratulations on episode 100. I think the question still stands, who would want to listen to us? But regardless, we're here every week. Every Friday, we're dropping an episode, and we just keep going. We're getting stronger and stronger. There's so much Half Measures content out there, Dan. I've even calculated exactly how much. Listen to this. 100 episodes, 75 minutes. That's 7,500 minutes. You divide it by 60, you've got 125 hours. Divide it by 24, you've got 5.2 days. So that is like sitting down Monday to Friday in one non-stop sitting, 24 hours a day. That is, that's a form of torture. I wonder if the CIA wants to buy the rights to this and use it as some sort of form of interrogation technique to, you know, try and break people. You know, they might come out of it with, you know, some good TV recommendations, but could they do five days? I don't know if I could. I don't know that we have any policies about advertisers that we won't accept money from. And I, I think I'd be happy to take that. I think that would be quite nice. It's um, It'll be great. It is It is amazing, 100 episodes. And to think what we're doing now compared to how we started, you know, we used to record in, in the city after work in a room and just completely ad hoc. Definitely. Like I remember like, you know, we'd be recording, you know, into my iPhone and I wouldn't even like I couldn't even use my iPhone to look up additional details of TV shows and cast members and release dates. And so it truly was a half measure back then. It's still a half measure, but it's sort of a it's got different constraints against it now. It is. And we've got like a hundred screens like mission control with different things ready at our fingertips at a minute's notice to be able to give anyone's you know, give the information we need when we're talking about it. Well and the best accessory is the audio board, right? Like we always know when it's green it's all good that's right yeah i love i love seeing you come through on the green it's 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 always reassuring for me what's your you know 100 episodes what's what's your sort of your your, your elevator pitch in terms of this is why it's great this has been a, a great moment for me that sort of thing i think that there's just so many and i think you know sometimes you know every week when you record the podcast you're like, oh god i've got to do the podcast tonight and like you know you're busy with life and different things are going on but actually every time i do the podcast i walk out of it with like a a full cup and i like i really enjoy the the experience of putting it out there and then that sort of continues throughout the week as we start to get feedback from people and I think one of the the kind of surprises for me through this sort of podcast journey is all of the the great podcasting people we've met in the community our friends from time traveling uh, temp um the the girls from blue table like it's We've met so many cool people who are so supportive and they engage with your content and they, you know, share, um, share you on their platforms. And it's, you know, like I often, you know, you hear people say, Oh, this is a great community, but I genuinely believe that we, this is a great community. We have met so many cool people who I would, who I would call friends. Like, you know, I, I would go and see these people. I'd visit them. I'd, I'd love to hang out with them like there. It's really cool. Yeah. No, 100%. I agree. And, you know, we've, I think we've done it three or four times now we've had you know guests come on and it's it's always really rewarding doing that the people that listen though for me the our listeners the ones that say to me oh i really enjoyed that or you know that was a lot of fun or they give us their opinion about something i think 
that really resonates with me because I think about why we started the podcast and we were talking about, you know, when we, we'd have lunch together and we'd talk about what we've been watching the night before. And you were like, oh, let's, let's just do a podcast. Let's just record this conversation. And of course, that conversation was always even more rich when we had more people join the table. And that's what happens with, with our listeners. And that, I really appreciate that. I think the other really cool thing about the podcast and, you know, we never started this podcast for this purpose, but just the amount of celebrity engagement that we've had across the podcast and from, you know, the minor to the, to the, to the A-listers, I love it when, you know, they retweet our content, they make a comment on something we've said, they, you know, share it to their, uh, their colleagues. It's, it's just so, it's so great that the, the world we live in, like, gives us that level of access and ability to kind of like engage directly with the people that we're looking up to as TV and movie stars. I love that as well. And I've got a a Yellowstone surprise for you in the mailbag later. I'm a, I'm a massive believer of this, of of positive feedback. And I've been thinking about it this week a lot in terms of it's something that we, uh, you know, humanity doesn't often do because people often hate and troll and destroy and criticize, but when we watch something that we love and we've now got this ability to get our reviews out to writers and directors and to the cast, I love that. And then if they take the time to, you know, to, to share that review or, or to, to listen and then give us the feedback, like, um, you know, the, I always think of Jim Field Smith, the creator of, um, criminal UK, you know, when he wrote back and said, Oh, it was a really thoughtful discussion. That for me is the full circle of positivity. And I find that very rewarding. Indeed. Indeed. I think though, my, all-time number one moment when I I really think back on the the last hundred episodes is you know one of our favorite things to do on the pod is theorize or come up with sort of a fan theory about what might be happening and one particular show that we were doing that on was the the Mandalorian we were talking about you know where the show might go what characters might appear and the idea came up that could we see Luke Skywalker and uh, a young Paul Canella said to me there's absolutely no way that's going to happen. And if that happens, I'll eat my hat, I'll sing on the podcast. And lo and behold, we get Luke Skywalker on The Mandalorian. And then we have Paul Canal singing on the podcast, A Burning Ring of Fire. It was absolutely incredible. A young Your Paul, commitment. A young Paul Canal did not have the, the wisdom to think about his words. And he's learned those mistakes. But I am waiting for my moment in the sun where where you, you know, where, where we flick that around and I predict something and you're like, no, 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 no. There's there's no way you're going to get Vin Diesel and The Rock together again on The Fast and the Furious. And when it happens, I'm, I'm curious to see what you might sing us. I don't know if I'd ever made that sort of commitment to the pod for what I appreciate. <laughs> that's your the trick. To the that's, pod. that's the real trick. Don't commit to something that's really you don't want to do. Indeed, indeed. Shall we, Dan, shall we jump into what we do best? Shall we talk about what we've been watching? And I'll start with you, if I may. What have you been watching this week? So one um, show that I, or one movie I've been watching actually, is one called Hell or High Water. Now, this is a, a movie that came to my attention purely for my love of all things Taylor Sheridan. So Taylor Sheridan, if you're new to the show, um, writes and produces Yellowstone. He's behind movies like uh, Wind River, Sicario. And I was looking up Taylor Sheridan the other day just to see what other what what else has he written or directed or and a movie that I've never come across or, or sort of heard of is Hell or High Water. And so this movie I tracked down on iTunes here in New Zealand 
And I'll tell you, Paul, I had a hell of a time with this movie. This is fantastic. It's got all of those good Yellowstone vibes that I've come to love. And so the the, the premise of this film is it's about a divorced father and his ex-con older brother who resort to a desperate scheme in order to save their family's ranch in West Texas. And what that ultimately means is they go on a bit of a, a bank robbing spree to steal money from the, from the bank who's trying to um, take their house back so that they can pay the bank that money. And it's got a star-studded cast. It's got Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Jeff Bridges, Gil Birmingham. Gil, you might know from uh, Yellowstone, he plays uh, Thomas Rainwater. Mm. It is. This is a really great sort of movie. Like it's a, you know, we often talk about movie length on this podcast. It's an hour forty-two. It just flows really well. There's great action scenes. There's great drama. Some of those traits that we just we just come to know and love with um, Yellowstone. And there's just some fantastic scenes with some of the cast in here. Like in particular, a real special shout out to Chris Pine. Like when I think of Chris Pine, I think of him as. Uh, like as Kirk or as sort of someone in uh, uh, like a, a rom-com or like and I know he's done a few action films but I wouldn't think of him as a uh, a Texas cowboy quite sort of gritty and stuff I thought he was fantastic I, I he was one of my favorite characters in, in this movie uh, so this is Hell on High Water it was honestly a lot of fun if you're a fan of Yellowstone, you're a fan of Sicario, this is one to watch. You're going to get a few kind of um, surprises and delights as you see some of the cast members that are now in, you know, some of his other shows in this movie. Have you heard of this one, Paul? I haven't, no, but I, I have to admit, I was wondering what you were going to do because, you know, when you watch something and you've watched all four seasons back to back of Yellowstone, it leaves a gap, it leaves something there and you, you, it's like you want one more hit for, for something and this is a great choice. I see Taylor Sheridan also shows up once again, credited just as Cowboy. This guy, as a writer, just seems to be so incredibly talented. I'm just looking at his uh, his IMDb, and you know, there's other things in there. There's another series called The Last Cowboy from 2019. There's a lot of this sort of Western type content, and it's really interesting you sort of say about the cast and, and Chris Pine because he, he's Kirk to me as well. But you know, when I think about him in Wonder Woman, uh, he and different performances. It doesn't surprise me that he's good in this. And the other guy alongside Ben Foster, I loved him in 310 to Yuma. I thought he was such a great bad cowboy in that. And so I think he's definitely cut his teeth well. So this looks like a great a great find. Yeah, it's, um, it's a shame it's not on some of the streaming platforms because I think it would do really well. But I would imagine it's probably going to appear there soon. But just going back to your comment on Taylor Sheridan, like I've watched a few um, – post my Yellowstone rewatch a few YouTube sort of interviews with the cast and everyone talks about Taylor Sheridan as sort of being a you know he is a true sort of cowboy and so when he appears in Hello High Water he he could literally be his character from Yellowstone like he's moving cattle across the road he's he's kind of gruff and angry about life but you know he's riding a horse with you know you can tell this is this is not his first rodeo so it's it's just a lot of fun, and I I'm really glad I sort of did a bit of a a light bit of research into his wider sort of catalogue because it, this is this is a great movie, thoroughly enjoyed, and you know this came out in 2016, and you know I, what that's five or six years ago now, and I I just wasn't even aware of it, so highly recommended. But I'll, that's pretty much what I've been watching, Paul, because a lot of the things that uh, we're going to talk about in today's episode are actually joint watches. So I might actually hand the reins over to you. 
Okay, awesome. So I'm straight back into my Bond rewatch. It's the final Roger Moore movie for me. Uh, 1985's A View to a Kill. The recovery of a microchip off the body of a fellow agent leads Bond to a mad industrialist who plans to create a worldwide microchip monopoly by destroying California's Silicon Valley. The plot is a little crazy in this one, but there is so much I enjoyed watching this this movie. Um, I th- I feel like it's a great final bond for Roger Moore to to, to finish on. Christopher Walken is our is our bad guy. Uh, you know, another fantastic actor to play a Bond villain. Totally over the top. Uh, you know, actual psychopath in this movie, and he he really adds something something different. We've got Grace Jones, uh, one of the best. Bond girls of all time as Mayday. She was fantastic in this. There's a lot of really good, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like set pieces in terms of, if you think about the, the, the Zephyr that they, um, that they crashed the, the Golden Gate Bridge scenes, real memorable moments. And that for me, cause you may recall, you know, the last two Bond movies I've talked about, uh, for your eyes only in Octopussy, they just weren't memorable. And so that's what this movie is a good one to finish on because other going all the way back to Moonraker since then, I can't even remember what happened in those movies. And this, this does stick in the mind. We've got that great Duran Duran soundtrack. So this, this is a, a solid entry and a nice one to finish on. It's really good to sort of hear that there's been a, an uplifting moment in your James Bond rewatch because, you know, as you just mentioned, the, the last couple haven't quite hit the mark as much. So really awesome to see sort of Roger Moore finish on a high. And it, it's funny, isn't it? Like listening to that uh, synopsis of the movie, it's actually not dissimilar to what we're experiencing today as a, as a word, right? Like, like the microchip shortages all around the place, which has delays so many like phones and consoles and anything electronic like relies on that. And this is a, a plot from 1985 and it's, you know, it's not quite a monopoly, but there's definitely a real shortage of some of those, uh, yeah. some of those types of supplies these days. No, it definitely is a, a real thing. The, um, the director then is John Glenn, who's done a number of Bond movies and he actually does the next two as well. So I'm really fascinated to see, because for me, I thought from a directing point of view, he tried some shots in this, particularly with the Golden Gate Bridge and other things that I thought, he, f- he seemed to be well ahead of his time. And so I'm really curious to see how we'll go in the next two movies, which of course will be Timothy Dalton's Bond movies. And so, so I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, as I say, it's a good way to go out. And with respect, I think I'm pretty, uh, I'm sorry, I'm probably ready for a new Bond. I feel, you know, Roger Moore was late fifties in this one. So, you know, he, fair play to him. He did a, a fantastic job, but I feel like seven is a is a real good innings, and I'm quite excited now to jump into something new. Well, you're you're getting up there, right? Like you're going to be heading towards the the Pierce Brosnans and the you know it's not too far away before you get into the Golden Eyes and Co of the of the Bond universe. I know, and that's that's when it starts becoming because you know real to the point where oh yeah, I remember going to the cinema to see you know pretty much from Living Daylights onwards. So it's um yeah, it's very exciting, and uh, I'll be interesting to see what the flavor feels like compared to what I've had over the last seven Bonds. Awesome. The other thing I want to talk to you about, Dan, uh, this is a mini series from Hulu called Dope Sick. And this is quite an extraordinary watch. Um, Dope Sick takes viewers to the epicenter of America's struggle with opioid addiction, from the boardrooms of Purdue Pharma to the, a distressed Virginia mining community to the hallways of the DEA. 
This is one which I won't lie to you because you, you, you'll know why. I saw Keaton front and center and I thought, Michael Keaton on television, how can I resist? I don't know if he's done much TV before, but that got my attention. And this was an absolutely outstanding watch. It is, you know, of course, being that it's a true story, it is very, very scary in that regard. It reminded me of uh, watching Dr. Death last year and when you and I watched... Um, Ah, uh, dark waters about Dupont. You know those sorts of those sorts of stories. Sort of what I know about Purdue Farm and what I've heard about you know Oxycontin and is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's this dives into the stuff behind, and it just becomes more and more scary. It's absolutely fascinating. This look, this looks like an incredible series. For like you've got Batman, you've got Ahsoka, um, you've got. Um, the new uh, God, I can't. His character just escaped my mind. That Will Porter's going to play in the Marvel universe, uh, the Warlock guy. Anyway, like as you say, this is an amazing cast, and it looks like an amazing story. And just one thing, I'm definitely going to have to um, get around to watching at some point. Yeah, no, um, real good shout on Will Porter, um, who's yeah Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was standout in this. But when I say that, I have to give a shout out to. Uh, obviously Michael Keaton and for me the best role he's done since he, he played Bruce Wayne if, if I'm honest I, I think he was superb Rosario Dawson was just like it just that sometimes I was like wow she's a soaker she's just so so strong in this and Peter, uh, Peter Sarsgaard just across the board tremendous performances the other thing it does really well is it covers off a couple of decades this whole, you know, as you could imagine, sort of like how this has unfolded. And it, it jumps back and forth a lot, but it does it really well with this timeline that scrolls in the center of the screen from left to right and then back as it goes from scene to scene. So you can follow exactly where you're at. And I found it a very effective way to know, you know, because we've, we've watched a lot of shows where it hasn't been overly clear, perhaps sometimes I'm thinking of dark for some reason, but this, this really worked well. This is... Uh, a crime story this is a crime family you know the uh, the addiction and the corruption of the fda this is about a, a, a drug family pushing their product through doctors through legal means it is no different for me than the salamancas in, in breaking bad it is terrifying and the sackler family uh are evil and surely they have to go down one day the question is will they be alive by the time the law can finally serve justice it's interesting, right? And I think one of the great things that really appeals to me about this TV show is the fact that it's a mini series. Like, mm. I quite like, you know, we talk about this a bit, a, a good limited series or mini series where you, you know that this is sort of a, a start to finish story and what you're going to get. And I think that's often quite good for the writers and the cast because I think it gives them a, a real good start and end point. Yeah, it's, and it, it is a mini series, and it? Uh, it stays with you after every episode. It's very heavy to watch. And you may, if, if you, if anyone decides to watch this, you may find that an episode a night is actually enough. And it certainly stays with you by the time it ends. And then as soon as it finished, Diana and I straight away got on our phones and sort of Googled what's the latest. And there are stories in the last couple of days about how things have progressed even now. Um, and so from that point of view, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. But just to quickly come back to, to Michael Keaton, because I've mentioned before about how Kevin Costner was someone who was big in the 80s and I didn't, I was never overly massive on and then he's returned as John Dutton in Yellowstone and there's something about a mature, experienced, uh, an older Costner. The same thing here for me 
with with Michael Keaton. There's something about him that that gives me that Costner vibe. There's something really um, something good. Like there's a, there's a second prime that he's come into at this age, and um, it's 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 something that you might not expect from him. And so so yeah, so definite recommendation. Uh, this one is available on Disney Plus. Awesome. I look forward to checking that out at some point. Shall we jump on over to something that we've watched together, Cobra Kai? Cobra Kai season four, Dan. This is this is a show that just keeps coming back and just always entertains, always makes me laugh. Uh, this is a show that you and I had in our top 10 TV for 2021, season three. What are you thinking about season four? I think you're right, Paul. Like Cobra Kai is... Definitely a, a, such a good feel-good program, and like, you can't help but, you know, you talk about Dopesick where it's like quite, it's heavy going, you might watch an episode and take a break. Cobra Kai, you can kind of binge this over two nights type thing, and still kind of be left wanting more. I really enjoyed um, season four. I thought it had, um, you know, more great moments. I, the one counter I would say to that is I, I don't necessarily think season four is the best of the four seasons that we've had so far. I think in season four, um, you know, we're we're getting to the point now in the story where they're actually we're seeing the All Valley Karate tournament happen, and you know, if you win the All Valley pool, you you're made for life. Like, you know, people are going to remember. You. Look at Daniel Larusso; like he was in that tournament, like what, 30, 40 years ago, and people were still like, oh, Dan, you won the uh, All Valley back in 1985. Like, it's this is a big deal. And this this season really sort of focuses around that tournament. We also get the introduction of um, Terry Silver, who comes in to help lead Cobra Kai into a, a new phase with Kreese. And so there's a bit of that going on, but there's also a lot of um, switcheroo sort of rivalries, and that's what tends to happen in Cobra Cobra guys, people are switching dojos, switching alliances, switching girlfriends and boyfriends and partners. And I think in in this season, like I don't think there was as many sort of like I saw. I, I say this with such a sort of a sort of gritted teeth. Like it's still a lot of fun. It's still the same sort of fun Cobra Kai, but I don't think I experienced as many sort of shock or new moments as I did in some of the other seasons. Yeah, no, that that's a fair comment. I do want to go back quickly though to, you know, Danny LaRusso winning 30, 40 years, 30 years ago and is known forever. I f- I'm relatively certain at a similar age, I won a chess tournament in my village and I'm pretty sure no one talks about that or remembers that. Or if they saw me in the street, would be, oh yeah, there's the champion. You know, so what a wonderful world Cabo Kai is. Cause it What's just- the name of your village? <laughs> that's, that's not going on. That's ne- not on the next podcast. I want to introduce you as the, the little whatever you'd call a village the, the the somerset uh somerset chess champion of 1989 i think it would have been so um yeah no one ever talks about that you know and that's what cobra kai does so well because it, it, it does it has this universe where as you say that thing is is a real thing and, and people do recognize it and, and we know that that's not a real thing but it works so well and i love i love this it, it's a universe in itself because it spans so long but you're right it's it doesn't cover as much new ground this this last season. I had a great time watching it. I had a lot of laughs. Um, but compared to season three, for example, you know where Daniel went overseas, um, we had we had Ali come back, um, and I, I guess we did have Terry Silver come in this this season, and it was pretty cool having 
Thomas Ian Griffith back as, as Terry Silver, um, who I noted was very, very limber in some of his fight scenes. Um, either that or some good stunt doubles. They're just, yeah, there was something that, you know, they're sort of switching things up, as you say, but are they, are they going to be able to do that for a fifth season or are they going to have to take us in a, in another direction? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because I think, you know, definitely it was fun having um, Terry Silver back in. I don't have as many memories about Terry Silver as I do about Chris and Johnny and yeah. Mr. Miyagi and, and Daniel. So, it, but I enjoy the fact that I think they have fun kind of referencing, you know, they're talking to Terry Silver about, oh, do you want to come back to Cobra Kai? And he's like, oh, they were like cocaine fueled. They were just obsessed with taking over and like destroying Daniel LaRusso. And I, I like that they, they make fun of the, the context of sort of how this sort of was was set out, and I I like that they're able to poke fun at themselves in this show all the time, and they're 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 aware of itself and and the sort of the role that it plays in in pop culture, and I think you're right. Like Terry Silver, um, for someone who's sixty years old, is you know still looks highly competent. Like his karate moves looked, I don't know. Like you say, is it is it special effects or is this general actually skill? But um, everything they do in that show always looks great on camera. Um, and you know, I think one one character that I can never get enough of in Cobra Kai is William Zab- Zabka as Johnny Lawrence. Like this is a I could literally just watch the whole show about Johnny Lawrence because everything he does is comic genius. I love how he's just he's so new to the world and he's so. Um, just kind of naive to everything that's been happening for the last 40 years. Like he's, we've talked about this before, but it's like he's been in a coma and he's just woken up. Yeah. And he just, he, he doesn't know about Ubers. He doesn't know about just anything that is sort of so mainstream these days. And it's, it's with genuine joy when he says some of these comments that you believe that he doesn't know. He's almost learned about hashtags. He just needs to stop calling them hash brains. It's, it is like he's been locked away for 40 years and that will make, that's what makes him so good and you know i hated him in the movies i didn't enjoy him but in the tv series you know i've said he's probably a top 10 character of all time which is a big call but that's how much i enjoy him the the william zabka's delivery of the lines is fantastic the lines he's given are fantastic it all just works so well it's it's just one of the most successful movie to tv transitions you know a movie wouldn't work but as a tv show it's perfect we get to take the time with the characters and, and all that jazz and you know just like the other seasons the other thing this show does well is it always makes good use of flashbacks and it just always they 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 do it well because they, they don't overuse them and when they do they're keeping it brief and even if you haven't seen the movie or if you've forgotten it you you get what they're trying to imply you 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 understand there's a there's a history and there's a weight and so that sort of adds something to the to the present and i think what this you know what this is doing really well is those those flashbacks are giving you enough of a reminder about what happened in those films but i don't know about you but it's making me want to actually go back and watch you know the the karate kid movies all over again and i wonder whether i would now watch them with a a slightly different view and I know that they're they're not done in the same way as Cobra Kai but this must be doing great things for the algorithm because here in New Zealand all of the um, Karate Kid movies are actually on Netflix and they're always popping up in the the top 10 so I think it's probably having that effect people are, are watching Cobra Kai and they're like I've got to go back I've got to I've got to see the, the history here because I just think you've got to give them top marks for how well they kind of pay fan service to what was created back in the 80s and carrying that through 
giving it a sort of a, a spark into a new generation and having fun with it the whole time. And there's not many franchises that do this as well as Cobra Kai. And, you know, to, to think that this started its life as a YouTube series and it could have been lost forever yeah. and has now been picked up is just such an incredible thing. I think it would be fascinating to, to watch the movies again. It's not something I would consider doing perhaps because, as I said, I prefer where the characters are at now, but I wonder if watching it, knowing where those characters are going, if you might have a different appreciation for them at that point, it would be a really interesting uh, experiment. The other person then to give a shout out to is the return of um, Paul Waterhouser coming back as a couple of episodes as Stingray, one of our favorite characters from this this series. And he always adds his own unique flavor of comedy. And it would have been great to have more of him, if honest. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Because there was obviously a bit of uh, fan backlash that we didn't get those characters in season three. And then they've obviously, you know, same with um, uh, Aisha Robinson, her her character. Um, so, you know, there was a bit of people like, where are these characters going? It was they were they wanted them from season two to be in season three. They obviously weren't there, and then we've kind of got little um, drip feed moments with them in this season. And it was interesting, right? Because someone like Stingray, like you say, he's such good comedic value that I just want more and more of his character, and I never wanted him to go in the first place. But it kind of felt like a few things were kind of forced into, into the show, and it does make me wonder, you know, we talked about in the news desk last week that Cobra Kai has definitely sort of thinking about six seasons. So if we potentially had two to go, just thinking about, well, like, where are we going with this story? Because, you know, we've kind of been on this journey, we've seen the establishment of the different dojos, but... I think we need something more from a sort of story-wise to keep sort of driving this forward because I think that's probably my biggest critique of season four is nothing really happened. And, you know, it was all sort of down to the premise of if, if Cobra Kai won, then the other dojos had to shut down. But that kind of faded into nothing as a bit of a concept at the end of the season. And so I really hope that they're sort of starting to think about, okay, what do our next two seasons look like? What do we want to do? Maybe do we want to film these um, seasons back to back? Because the other, I think, challenge with a show like Cobra Kai, and it's the same challenge that a show like Stranger Things has, is these uh, these these kids, which aren't actually kids, like most of these uh, actors are, you know, early 20s or at least are about to hit, hit their 20s. And they're starting to look like, you know, full adults. And it's becoming less believable that they're, uh, they're going to high school and they're still sort of having these these karate beefs. And so uh, you, if I was sort of producing this show, I would kind of want to know my end point, which I think they, they do know it, but I would be looking to be how can we actually capture as much of this uh, these seasons sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. I was thinking the same thing. And I you know, I think shooting it back to back is is a great idea because, yeah, they are getting older and I think if they're not going to do that, then what they need to do and the same with Stranger Things while we're talking about it is 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 have those characters age with the actors and actresses and have them actually reflect the age that they're at rather than trying to force them into a, a younger role because it's just not going to be effective. And um, you know, it's it's interesting because the the All Valley tournament finals, I thought they did a good job of sort of mixing that up and sort of not having cliche good guy wins if you like but yeah i don't know if going through another all valley tournament is going to be enough for a fifth or sixth season and so 
I'm I'm really fascinated because the guys you know that are behind this and that we we talk about you know uh, Josh Heald and and John Hewitt's they they have a great writing relationship a great production and I am confident that they will they will give us something in five and six that will will make it go in a different direction of some sort. Yeah, and look, I think we're it might sound like we're being hard on the show because I think like it's it's more I think when we compare it to other seasons, but it's still a good season. Um, and it's still, you know, we've talked about this before, like it's far better than some of the other seasons of, of TV that we get. And I think it's, it's more of our desire to, to want this to sort of stay in the, the top tier of television than it is. Oh, it is a slightly below average Cobra Kai season four is still going to be better than possibly a lot of shows that we'll talk about over the next 12 months. That's, this is very enjoyable. I was thinking before when you were, you know, talking about binging, it is possibly for me the most bingeable series I can think of in, in terms of I never need that break or I, I literally feel like I can just keep going with it. it, it and, and the humour never gets old as well. It just continues just to go from strength to strength. I also, one other thing I just appreciate about this show is I love how it's just dropped as like an end of year reward. Yeah. So it's like, here you go, you've survived 2021, it's New Year's Eve, here you go, have all of Cobra Kai. And it's it's so good to know that there's shows like that that are just dropped for you over the over the holiday season. Yeah, uh, it's the perfect time to do it, like with Star Trek Discovery. It's it's the perfect time to do it. Um, a really enjoyable watch. Eagle Fang, possibly the greatest name for any dojo. I may have to get a t-shirt one day with that logo on it. Um a very enjoyable season and yeah be fascinating to know when we get to our top 10 list for for 2022 whether or not this this features and i've been thinking that you know maybe we need to start having a little bit of a shout out for shows that drop so late in 2021 that they don't quite make the list does that make sense i think it does because you know where does this sit like we got it on the last day of the year so it's uh it's complicated for the uh for the business rules that we put around choosing our top shows for 2022. But I'm sure we will maybe work out a special mentions list for for shows like this that we've maybe first experienced for ourselves over the year, but then they're new to us as we say, correct? Rather than produced in that year. I'm all about the business rules. Then shall we um shall we move over to another show that you and I um have been watching, uh, and that is afterlife um season three again anyone who hasn't watched it and wants to please do use the show notes because we are going to have to talk spoilers season three um it it just sounds strange even saying it because ricky gervais is always two seasons it's always six episodes but with afterlife he's decided that he will he will do a third season and now having watched it i can't imagine this series without that third season what what are you thinking about this, Dan? What, what's your opinion of season three of Afterlife? This is a show, Paul, that hits me in ways that I never know where it's going to hit me. And, you know, I've absolutely loved season one and two. And season three is, is just another standout season. I was a little bit worried coming into sort of a third season that, you know, because as you say, this isn't the norm, is there enough of a story to tell here? And I think there is. Um, I think it's that's my that's my Suri trying to uh, talk to me at the same time as talking about the, the podcast. So that's great. So I, no, I think season season three is great. I think you're right. Like his anger is really in sort of true form in this in this season. And there's some genuinely 
laugh out loud moments when like he's throwing a cactus through the back of a car or he's incorporates um the sea bomb in a way of pure artistry that you know no one no one else can do and not only that like it's just a it's a show in a in a season that just makes you I don't know think about things differently it makes you think about your own life it makes you think about your own mortality people around you's mortality and just how you have to go on and just sort of the, the impacts of some of that stuff Oh yeah, oh you've summed it up really nicely. There's you come away from this just thinking. It left me with a, a feeling of gratitude uh, about life and um, the simplicity of the simple things in life. Like um, even when I was talking earlier about the podcast, and so I was saying, oh, you know, about there's not enough positivity in humanity. You know that. that I, I wonder if that was influenced just from this watch this week of Outer Life. There is something about Ricky Gervais' show that um, is just different, and you know, like you say, his use of swear words is second to none it is extraordinary use there's something there's a bit of a football analogy which may be lost on some non-football fans but some someone once said to me there's something special about the champions league it's always stuck with me because what this guy was saying is you might enjoy your regular weekend week out league football but the, the champions league is tangibly different it's special it's a class above and the reason i mentioned that is because this is exactly how i feel when i sit down to watch a, a Ricky Gervais show like this, he, he he just I know what I'm in for. I know it's just going to be a step up, and every moment, every little line of dialogue, because you know he's the actor, he's the writer, he's the director. He puts everything into it, and it is you know he, he takes things too far. I mean, some of his jokes, especially when it's Brian and um, um, you know his mate with the beard and glasses, and and others, they take some of these jokes so far. And I just end up staring at the ceiling going, oh, you can't say that. But uh, that's that's what I've come for. I want that. I want to feel uncomfortable and I want to feel all the emotions. And he does it every time. I think another thing that um, Ricky Gervais does really well is he's actually closed out the story, not just for his own character, who this is largely based around, but he's actually done that for the, the oh. whole supporting cast. Yeah. And he's given them journeys and story arcs and just as many heartwarming moments as his own character has. And, and that's so nice to see. Oh, it really is. Because Diana and I were watching this around episode five, so one to go. She was saying to me, like, well, Kath's, Kath's not happy. And, you know, what's going on with, with, with Emma? And, the you know, what's his name? The postman is clearly depressed. And the what's his name? The, the actor guy, James, you know, he can't. No one was happy. And they had so little time. And he does he does bring it all to a, a very satisfying conclusion. That ending then um, was what, what did you what did you take from that? The way it was um, sort of shot. Um, for me, I just thought that he was finally sort of moving on with his life. I thought he sort of he was putting his energy into um, things to sort of. You know, he, he couldn't just continue being sort of like sad and unhappy and, and angry at the world. And I think part of the ending was him trying to bring some joy to other people, but also him being kind of content with life and that it's going to be what he sort of puts into it. And I don't think it's the type of ending where I think you get the story that you want, right? Like it's mm. the it's the Tony Soprano fade to black. It's the what do you think happened? But in my mind, the story is that, like 
you know, life isn't ultimately going to change from he's still going to work at the newspaper. He's still going to be a bit of a dick to people, but he's probably going to hopefully try to get a, you know, actually helping other people sort of find some joy can actually bring him a bit of um, happiness as well in his life. I, I, I know there's sort of potential there for a dark ending as well, but mm. I, I, I don't see the darkness. Yeah. I like that. It's um, it was. I like the way it's open for interpretation. That's always a, a fascinating way to end any sort of show or movie. Um, I think you know, obviously, it tells us that that is that that is you know, there's, there's absolutely absolutely no chance that there's uh, another season coming. That, that it's, it's it's over, and I think that was a good way to go out. I um, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by Gervais because I think his true talent is the writing, the directing, and as a comedy actor, but the serious scenes is where he really surprises me because there's so much of the show which is around him being upset, very, very depressed. And and it's at those moments where he's talking about that and, and when he's talking about that with a sense of optimism and joy and there's tears, that's, he actually really surprises me at how well he's, he's delivered those scenes because they, they, if he didn't do that well that could that he wouldn't sell the scene it wouldn't work and he's legitimately quite talented as, as a serious actor which is not something i would have thought necessarily coming into the series before we even got into season one well i think um you know you think ricky gervais and you think of him from the office you think of him from extras you think of you know he's got that energy all the time but i think what a show like this does is sort of show his his true depth and the fact that as you say he can write, direct, and star in something so emotionally touching is credit to him because I, I think very few people would be able to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love the way he's written this character of Tony as well. I this um, There's so much of elements of Tony's character when he's sort of frustrated with the world or with ignorant people with unfairness that I can relate to. Like you, you mentioned the... Uh, the throwing the cactus plant through the back of the the vehicle because they didn't stop at the zebra crossing. I mean, I would be the same if I was at the zebra crossing. I'd be livid. I'd be absolutely livid, and I would come home and I would tell everyone around it. I I love the way he does that. There's, he sort of takes that kind of that Larry David from Kirby enthusiasm. Um, that sort of frustration. He 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 actually reminds me the way he's written this character. It could it could very easily be Andy Millman from from Extras, the character he played there. I've always thought those two characters are kind of similar and they're, they're also both characters are very similar to Ricky Gervais in real life in terms of his frustrations with things and so when we see him in this show get annoyed or frustrated I actually feel like there's not much acting going on I feel like he's just uh, reacting to it's very authentic to how he would be in real life it's interesting because I think there's so many uh, characters in the show that he has such a, a great relationship with um, obviously Tom Basin who is, who is his boss and brother-in-law he's he treats him like other garbage and you know defeats him in all the sports and just loves winding him up he gets pure joy from it i did think sort of coming into this season there might have been slightly more romantic interest with emma and i kind of thought we ended season two with it kind of heading down that path and interesting to kind of you know make a, a hard kind of separation of those two characters uh throughout the season yeah, it is interesting because um, we had a similar conversation around that. Wasn't that how it ended? And it's funny because I was happy with that season two ending because, of course, we were at that point thinking that probably is it because that's how Gervais rolls. But I actually like the fact that he knocked that on the head. And I like the fact that Emma still went off to, to find, you know, happiness of, of some sort as well. I, I just, I'm really happy with the ending for Tony. I 
I like the choices he made. I love the scene at the at the hospital with the young children. I mean, that was a hard watch. And then the final scene, you know, you've got Rod Stewart playing in the background at the fair and everyone's finding that happiness. It is, that's, that's a different type of feel-good TV. It's, it's, mm. it's great. I'll tell you one character I did miss this season was Roxy, uh, the, yeah. the postman's girlfriend. Because uh, I've actually, I think what I've enjoyed most about uh, uh, Tony's interaction with the different characters is that he gets different advice that sort of hits on different levels from different people. And I think, you know, you've got people like Kath who kind of purely frustrate him, but there's still something sort of pure and innocent that he can get from her. There's Emma who's obviously got some, you know, real hard advice from working in, a, in an old people's home. And then I think, you know, just Roxy brought a whole nother lens. And it was, I didn't enjoy not getting her side of the story and just getting it through the through the postman. I, I I liked it when there was both of them because it gave such different angles. Yeah, it was a sudden departure, eh? And it's it's interesting how that happens sometimes. I remember we talked about this off-air a long time ago about the, the departure of Cal Pilkington from the final season of Derek. And it's a similar sort of thing here that he's done. He's sort of not included. For whatever reason, who knows? But um, it wasn't enough. So The Postman was and is one of my favourite characters from this entire series. But for this season, his his scenes were largely stunted or muted somehow. They weren't they weren't powerful enough, and I got more enjoyment out of watching David Earl as Brian, um, or or Diane Morgan as Kath. I thought she was really good as Kath. I have to admit. Plus, of course, we've now got this new um, employee at the paper who's even more miserable than Tony. That was that was quite a turn up for the books. It's quality, isn't it? I even just enjoy um, Valerie played by Michelle Green Greenwich, who's the receptionist at the paper. Yeah, like just little moments of joy that all these different characters bring. And I, I could only just imagine living in this small English countryside town where you're so close that you can walk to work and you're just sort of getting these local paper stories. It, it, there's something sort of so quaint and great about it all. No, there really is. And as soon as it finished, by the time I'd sort of composed myself, I started looking straight on IMDb and like, what's he doing next? And of course, there's nothing in there. Very Most actors or writers will have some sort of new things sitting above what they've just released. Gervais has nothing. You just never know what he's thinking, what he'll do next. But his track record is so good. He His writing as we've said before, never fails to 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 make you laugh, to make you shake your head with disbelief about the inappropriateness of the humour, and then also, you know, put a lump in, in your throat in the course of a single scene. And there is something special about that. It's something I think about the show that I actually enjoy watching this one by myself because I feel like you kind of want to watch it with the purest emotion. And I think for me, <laughs> having no one around is the, is the best way to do that. Then you get to laugh out loud at the things that you shouldn't laugh at and, you know, you get to really sort of like think about sort of some of the, the deeper moments in the show. That's such an interesting observation. I will be honest and say I, I couldn't watch this without Diana. It's I need to be there it's like you know tony is there watching videos of lisa and I, I think i've said this over the previous seasons i can't cope with those scenes then they absolutely kill me and it's yeah it's 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 too much indeed indeed look this is uh afterlife on netflix all three seasons so i know there's people out there that love to watch something when it's sort of complete and finished and so this oh, yeah. is one of those shows 
prepare to laugh, prepare to cry. This is a, a great, great series, Afterlife. Shall we switch universes and go back in time? In fact, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away then. To chapter three of the Book of Boba Fett, The Streets of Mos Espa. Now, Paul, this episode is getting a beating online. I have seen a lot of people very, very unhappy. A lot, I, I've seen screenshots of people cancelling their Disney Plus accounts. <laughs> I've seen um, pure rage at the, the Scooter Gang. Now, I think for me, for me, Paul, I am confident that this is going to end strong. Now, I thought episodes one and two, not too bad. Three is definitely a little bit shaky, and there's some things in here which I think, you know, we're probably going to need to discuss. But, you know, look, guys, just remember, John Favreau, he knows what's up. He's he's working with, you know, Robert Rodriguez. You know, we love Robert Rodriguez. He, he, does, he does some great stuff. We've got a great cast. Uh, we know that Dave Filoni is sort of consulting in the background on this. I think there's some bits that obviously, you know, hardcore uh, Star Wars fans are not enjoying. But I, I'm I'm hopeful that they can they can still sort of deliver on this. What are you thinking, Paul? Yeah, it's really interesting, eh? Because uh, there's a few people I talked to at work about this, and I had a similar response from from each of them. And and for me, and I know I messaged you as, as soon as we both watched this for the first time since live action since star wars has been doing live action tv series so not the not the animation i have been surprised at how poor a few scenes have been um the the with you know this and that the special effects made it through all the checks and testing and all the rest of it and this isn't like the tiger and the walking dead just to give anyone you know that sort of context it's not we're not talking about that but the moss esper speeder bike gang which have the most motorcycle-looking speeders we've ever seen. A, they don't look good, and I'll, and I'll hand to you as the expert to talk about that. But B, they seem to travel at the speed of a moped, uh, which makes for a very underwhelming chasing. Putting that to one side, I still enjoyed enough of this episode. I'm still riding on the high of the, the depth of story we're getting. There's so many positives I pulled out of this, which I'll, we'll talk about. But... um. I think it's I think it's largely the speeder bikes. I think you're right. Like I think if you actually take out that chase scene, if you just cut that entire sequence, yeah, um, it's not too bad. Um, and I think you could go a step further by just completely removing the scooter gang and their weird cybernetics that have been um, added. But I think outside of that, like I'm still enjoying the the Tuscan Raider backstory. Yeah, I'm enjoying. Um, it was great to see. Uh, Danny Trejo and, and you know they bring a new Rancor in great to see the huts again like there's still some interesting kind of premise it's great to get a bit more Black Chrysanthemum um, there's some good stuff there I, I think that the challenge with this show regardless of where it goes is still something I think we talked about last week where Boba Fett had two minutes of you know on on air screen time over the sort of the original trilogy and now we're kind of getting deep into kind of like giving him, you know, big bits of dialogue and, you know, he was cool because we knew nothing about him. And 
you know, careful what you wish for type situation because, you know, obviously they're picking up on new characters, Mandalorian's hot, we want to find out more about this, you know, Boba Fett. Um, but it comes at a cost, right? Like, it's it kind of undoes some of the things that made the Star Wars universe so cool in the first place. What, what's interesting is, is that, of course, as you say, we saw Boba Fett for a couple of minutes here and there in the movies. And, of course, when we did see him, he was a baddie. Okay, he's a villain. He he was a bounty hunter, and that was his whole identity that has existed since 1980. And so, what we've got now, at least when we look at uh, this this series, especially in the present as opposed to the flashbacks in the past, is uh, a guy who's kind of, you know, a little bit over things and sitting on a throne. People are turning up at his door, and they're like, "Oh, they haven't got. He hasn't got an appointment," and he's like, "Oh." Bring him in. It's like there's no sort of, um, that's not probably what people are uh, expecting. And there's a lot of hardcore Boba Fett fans who I, I don't care myself amongst them. But I think what the Mandalorian is giving them is the manner in which the Mandalorian lives and how he goes. If you think about some of those missions he was doing and you know, collecting his bounty, I think people associate that with the Boba Fett character. For me, I find those scenes in the past where we're doing the flashbacks in the back to tank i'm finding that side of the story more rewarding still we're only three episodes in so so i guess i guess let's wait and see because as you say i trust the process and i think you and i said off air you know we had similar dates at the start of um the bad batch and by the end of it we're like all hell dave filoni and i i feel the same way at this point about john favreau and robert rodriguez yeah, I think what's interesting about it is like, you know, at the end of The Mandalorian and we got the the teaser for the Book of Boba Fett mm. and we had that great scene where he comes into Jabba's palace. Um, that almost would have been greater to kind of like have the build up to, you know, Boba Fett potentially like clearing out like or destroying Jabba's palace and then going off on his, his merry way. I think you're right, like his role as a, a crime lord, which he doesn't really kind of want it's 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 just a bit weird, and I think what's tough about it is there's a whole like I'm I'm really interested in these huts. I'm interested mm. in um you know if, is it the is it the Black Suns that might be like funding some of these these trades that are going on? I'm interested to find out like about Black, Black Crescenton. Um, I'm interested that Danny Trejo's now in, involved in this, and I think all of those components equal potentially something quite good. Um, I just hopefully the the good starts to outweigh the the questionable because you know you and i paul we're, we're big star wars fans and we don't like to sort of you know see our our universe kind of ruffled you know we like our, our action figures in their place thank you and we like it all to be good thank you we do indeed and it's also that episode three thing for me episode three often in many tv series can be that sort of that turning point it was so strong with the Mandalorian season one. We always talk about episode three, the, was it the sin? You know, it was just such a great, it really was, okay, this is the real deal. It's, um, it's just interesting the direction they're going. And I guess I'm so fascinated by what I'm picking up along the way. Like you're talking about the huts and having Danny Trejo show up as, as a rancor keeper and, and having a Rancor show up and us learning, actually, these, these things are actually really calm. This was a Rancor calf as well. I mean, it's pretty big for a calf, right? But, um, you know, it's actually a really peaceful 
um, animal. And of course, that's changed our perception from what we've learned from Return of the Jedi and, and maybe some of the, uh, was it the Force Unleashed video games, it seems to recall. Um, it's sort of changing that dynamic. I uh, I can't pronounce his name, Black. I call him, call him Santi, Santi the Wookiee. That's his nickname in the comics. I love having that sort of thing. It's so cool when a character from a book or a comic or an animated show suddenly shows up in live action. And so like we have with ah- Ahsoka um, and Saw Gerrera, good examples from Clone Wars who then show up in Rogue One and, and Mandalorian. Yeah, a, a character like this, it's just it's just building on a universe that we already love. We've seen, I can't think of his name now, Max Reber, is that it? With the, the elephant looking The dude? blue one. Yeah, yep. the blue one, that's it. I love all that sort of stuff. Um, It'd be interesting to see where we go to from here with the with the next episode, um, and yeah, I, I wonder what what they'll do and how much time they're going to keep spending in the past and in the, in the present. Because I have to admit, the past, the Tuscan story, and now that the Tuscans have been wiped out, where are we going to from from there? Mm. It's interesting though because just talking, we're going back to Black Crescenton for a moment. So the the giant Wookiee. If you've read the the Star Wars comics, he actually features quite heavily in a few of those, and he's actually one of the the most sort of feared bounty hunters in the in the galaxy at the moment. And he's done a lot of work for for Jabba, and he actually went face to face with Obi Wan Kenobi, mm. and he's one of the the few to sort of um, you know between the two of them sort of both walk away from that experience. So, and it was yeah, this is where it's frustrating, right? Because so Boba hires the the scooter crew, but he lets Black Crescenton go. It's like he should be hiring Black Crescenton to come and sort of be part of his entourage. Um, he doesn't need the scooter crew with all the extra mirrors on their scooters and 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 that sort of slow slow chase. Um, yeah, look, I think I think we've just got to keep going. Um, there's good in there. I can feel it, Paul. I like that. I like what you've done there. I I, I think you're absolutely right, and. This is, again, what I was talking about before, about this this positivity. People are very quick to jump on things and start hating. And, I mean, cancelling a Disney's... Can we just take a step back for a moment, these people, and just remember how blown out the water we all were with The Mandalorian and, and what that has given us and how so many people, if anything, have embraced that compared to the sequel trilogy of movies that not everyone did that. You know, this is what's really when people think about when they think about Star Wars these days. I think a lot of people are thinking about the Mandalorian. I think, you know, Boba Fett when he showed up in the Mandalorian, he was he had a purpose. It was obviously he was unknown where's he come from, but then he was helping on the mission, so we're all loving him. Now that he's not a bounty hunter, now that he's sat on the throne, I feel like that's changing people's expectations and dynamics. But for me, if the stories are still good and the writing's good, I don't think we're going to be in for a problem. I am backing this to 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 come good for sure yeah look i agree i think that the internet in particular is so quick to jump on the hate train they do it with you know every time there's a new batman a new joker something new in star wars that it's so frustrating that people have to be instantly sort of gratified and pleased with every single episode and i think to you know it's just not the world we live in and i think it's it's unfortunate that people are so so quick to sort of make some of these statements because you know i think you know those individual things may not be heard by disney but when there's enough of a sort of reaction to it this kind of sways the decision on are we going to make more seasons are we going to continue with this part of the timeline and i think 
people just probably need to give this stuff a, a little bit of space and um, a little bit of time to kind of play out. Exactly right, exactly right. And the other positives here that I'd sort of forgotten I was looking for some photos, we're getting to see the pikes again. You know, another group of characters that we first met in the Clone Wars and then who appeared on, on live action in, in Solo. And, you know, last week after we recorded, I think you said to me before we watched, you know, this episode, you sort of hypothesized about seeing Kira show up and the whole Crimson Dorm element might come into it. And I wasn't sure then, but after watching this episode, I'm thinking you could be right. So I love that direction. I'm wondering what we might get there that might sort of tie in with Solo. The young Boba Fett footage is, um, some of it's Daniel Logan unused footage from Attack of the Clones. That's how, I remember last week I said, oh, I don't know how they've done it. I actually read about They've actually used some unused footage. That's how they've done it. It's 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 great. And I I feel like it's just tying together a lot of things. And look, let's... Let's see where we go. I'm excited to see. Uh, let's hope we're right. Indeed, indeed. All right, Paul, shall we mosey on over to the movie of the week? Indeed. So every week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. Uh, we watch it and then review it seven days later on the podcast. We post it in our Discord community. So if you join us there by clicking on the link in the show notes, you can find out what movie we're watching, watch along and then come along and hopefully enjoy our review this week we've watched the 2021 netflix movie don't look up so this is about two low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet earth this is a a pretty new movie for netflix it's been a a big netflix um push on this episode of the pod but it's got a a star-studded cast we've got leonardo dicaprio jennifer lawrence meryl streep kate blanchett rob morgan jonah hill um rob perlman the list goes on this is a interesting movie um which i enjoyed but i thought was far too long yeah how long yeah it's uh it was about I, I feel like what a good 20 minutes possibly you could just bring it just under two hours would have been about right I think this will be about 40 minutes you could cut from this film 40 uh, yeah I look I had a, a good time and I think I no. I, I enjoy what this you know first of all the I love the dark comedy of this movie of these these two scientists trying to convince uh, the president of the United States um, the media anyone who will listen about this potential doom of the comet no one believing them and kind of the the way that they're portrayed um, both as crazy, as as angry, as sex symbols, as, as anything you can imagine. Um, and then eventually, I guess, you know, the, the planet, the globe, trying to sort of come across, sort of think about different ways they can try and solve this problem. And it was quite a a finite movie right like it's not often you get a movie like this that has the type of ending that don't look up does yeah no you're right um and i love that i'm going to be able to disagree with you on a couple of things here one i think 40 minutes is too much and also one of the big things for me because i I did enjoy this movie i did but one of the big things for me that is going to knock a gun off of my rating is the dark comedy i feel like i would have I would have liked to have seen it without as much. I don't mind a little bit of it, but without as much of that comment, I feel like what they're dealing with is 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 very real. Getting the government to believe you about something, uh, you know, especially the, the the president who appeared to be uh, a female version of Donald Trump, right? I I feel like if they'd been a little more serious 
uh, it would have made you know firstly it would have made what we witness in the final scenes probably even more tense and maybe a more emotional connection to the characters I think I love the flavour and Adam McKay as a director is very good at delivering that comedy element but I just I would have dialed it back it was the one thing that just uh, kept reminding me that I was watching a movie as I didn't feel as immersed because I when it's done well I absolutely love an end of the world disaster type movie but I yeah the comedy threw me off then I am completely near the camp I think so this this movie lives on its dark comedy for me and I think you know though some of it maybe felt um unreal i actually don't think it's too far from the truth of the world we kind of live in right like you know the the hierarchy you know if you think about a traditional end of the world disaster movie it's also serious and so yeah. so intense and i think the the way that people interact now is th- there's different barriers and there's different sort of social structures around you know who can and can't make jokes and one of my favorite characters in this though he, he did i guess put him a little bit annoying was jonah hill's character <laughs> as the chief of staff and i you know, you could like I could just imagine. You know, you compare Meryl Strump to to Trump, I guess, and you could imagine someone has in his administration literally being probably you know that crass and that intense because it's just the, the, this weird world and circle that they live in where you know it's okay to to be kind of a, an a hole to people, and even though that's you know obviously not not what you sort of want, particularly in this sort of movie where it's really sort of playing up the the two scientists, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, and the kind of them trying to sort of convince people of this immense threat to the earth. Um, and I think the humour kind of lightens it. I think what's more interesting with this movie for me is the, you know, like what this movie is ultimately about. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. No, no, I, I, I don't want to get rid of the humour altogether. I just want to dial it right back because I was really comfortable with it for the first 20 minutes. And then it just... I think it was when they went to the White House, and it's funny again because Jonah Hill was very, very funny. He was, but it was it was his reactions that were suddenly just okay. This this really is now turning into that comedy. I love what you did with Meryl Streep's name there, calling her Meryl Strump. That should be the character <laughs> of the president, President Strump. That's really good. I um because the cast, as you say, is is incredible. And what's funny is I don't know about you, but I hadn't actually heard about this movie which I guess is a sign of the times of just how much content there is these days. And it was actually a colleague at work who recommended it to me in the first instance. But, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, who I often refer to as the greatest actor of our generation, I thought he was pretty good. He wasn't necessarily standout. I thought he was pretty good. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, virtually, uh, you know, just totally different with that mental haircut and look. Kate Blanchett was virtually unrecognisable. And there was just a lot of really good performance. And Jonah Hill was a good performance. They were all great performances. It was a really, it's a, it's a unique movie. And I guess part of that is the comedy element. But it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think one of my favourite uh, scenes from this movie is, or sort of ongoing goofs and gags in this movie, is when they first go to meet the president and the general gets them some water and some some crisps and he's like it's going to be 10 bucks each like it's real hard to get food around here and it's free food that he's got from uh the cafeteria they all have to pay him jennifer lawrence's character finds out it's free and she talks about it with everyone who will listen for the rest of the movie and i, I think that's so great like about <laughs> this general from the white house has kind of like stumped them out of some money 
But I think, so what's kind of interesting about this movie is I think it, it, at the very end of this movie, it does go super, super, super dark and mm. a little bit crazy, right? Um, but I think what was sort of interesting in watching this movie is both Samara and I were like, what, what is this movie? Like, what's what's the message of this movie? Yeah. And at first we were kind of like, oh, is this sort of a, a COVID movie or is it a, um, and it, it, is it about the climate? And I think, you know, looking into it a little bit further, like it's heavily about the climate and the climate change, right? And that, you know, for a long time, a, a number of scientists and a number of sort of activists and people have been speaking out around, if we don't do something in the next, like if we're start doing something now and it's already too late, in the next 10 years we're going to start seeing the, the impact of climate change and it's going to be irreversible. And I think the message that this movie does in that context is, is spot on, right, because everything is so heavily you know what um social engagement does is drive is this good for our business to talk about yep. this this is a line from a political point of view and you know all of these things seem to come before the actual message and i think this movie does a great job at kind of poking fun at humanity and society itself because we clearly are not looking up yeah i think you've summed that up really well and i, I don't think i can can top that suffice to say that i think the message the 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 big message I got of this was that the world we live in is, unless it's from a political point of view, unless it's uh, uh, really sexy or controversial or, or going to drive, as you say, social social engagement, it's not going to make the news. So, um, uh, scientist guy, no matter how hard he is, you know, whatever, <laughs> turning up with some data and some some theories and talking about um, coordinates and mathematics is not going to cut it because we can't see it in the sky right now bearing down on us um it's not it's just not it's not not going to make the cut it's not going to make the news and i think um because we often have stories about a meteor on course for but um you know it's always like a fourth or fifth story down and it's never quite and so we see so much of that that it's like ah this isn't the thing and so what do you have to do to actually convince people and in this day and age rather than it being about reporting facts and for the good of humanity it's it's like you say what what does it do for our business mm-hmm. i think yeah so i think this movie was good at hitting those messages good at making you think differently good i think about driving the, the water cooler conversation with other people um it was just it was just a little bit too long for me though still in the sense that which, which kind of goes against the grain of what this film was about but um it I felt like they didn't have enough sort of new content or, or things to sort of keep the story moving. I sort of felt like it was kind of a bit of a, like the first bit was sort of like hit you in the face and it was good and it was interesting and it was funny and then it kind of just dragged a little bit for me and that's why I sort of feel like maybe there's a bit of fat in there which could have um, maybe forced a bit more of um, this is the point, this is what we want to make. Yeah. Um, as opposed to sort of by the end we were kind of like, oh God, this is got another hour to go type thing yeah 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 that's yeah, true we split it across two nights so yeah fair play there i i'll meet you halfway and say 20 minutes but um one one last quick mention a shout out uh to melanie linsky um from new plymouth new zealand she 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 played uh leo's wife um what was uh june mindy um so she's a yeah, new zealand actress probably most famous from heavenly creatures did a real good job uh opposite Leo, particularly when he uh, he had a moment with Kate Blanchett, and she basically just 
showed up and really she must have had great fun imagine being told by the director okay i want you to take these tablets these bottles of tablets and chuck them as hard as you can at Leonardo DiCaprio over there please that, that must have been a lot of fun yeah definitely it's a it's kind of a, one of those like proud Kiwi moments right that you know someone from New Zealand is now in a you know literal sort of you know a-list cast That's and right. just just killing it it's fantastic great I give that one Dan I give that one two and a half guns oh well I thought you were going to go a bit higher than that all right. Well, uh, I'll give it two guns then. Seem oh. we, um, seem we can't quite agree on the the timings, but you can check that out on Netflix. Um, it's something definitely to watch and have a conversation about. Hundred percent. What have you got on the news desk this week, Dan? All right. So all of those um, fools cancelling their Disney Plus accounts. You better start them back up because on the March thirtieth, we've got Moon Knight. It's coming, baby. This is going to be fantastic. Cannot wait. So this is one of the Marvel uh, TV shows, and Moon Knight will be starring uh, Oscar Isaac, who you may know yes. as Poe Dameron. I was just thinking this is the Poe Dameron poster I've been seeing all over the internet today. So um, we've been long talking about Moon Knight and sort of that the show's been in development and then it got announced, and um, it's finally it's, – I'm so surprised that it's just sort of coming out on March 30th. I, I wasn't expecting the show till much later in the year. I did have a, a look at the trailer – um, against my better judgment, and it looked fantastic. So I'm very hyped to start watching that when it comes out in a couple of months' time. Nice. Um, you'll be pleased to know, Paul, that Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for Season 5. Let's just hope that we'll eventually be able to watch these shows on Paramount+, Plus because there is a, a lot of good stuff coming from Paramount+, Plus, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, it also looks like Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 has also been confirmed before the spin-offs even releases happen. So it seems to be a lot of uh, great Star Trek stuff coming, and again, on Paramount+. Plus. Speaking, you want to make a, make a few comments? I was just going to say, while you're there, you may as well also mention Lower Decks has been renewed for Season 4, um, and Picard is filming Season 3. And it's supposed to air on March the 2nd. Whether we get it in New Zealand remains to be seen. But yeah, Strange New Worlds is the interesting one. They're renewing it without even airing the first season. That's a good sign. It's very frustrating, isn't it? Because it's quite hard to sort of find any good information around what's happening with Paramount Plus in New Zealand. Oh. And, you know, I've been sort of scouring the internet. And, you know, whether I fully sort of believe this or, or not, it's, it's hard to even sort of fact check some of the stuff that there's been an arrangement with Sky where we may not be getting Paramount Plus. But. Does it mean we'll be getting some of these shows on Neon? Who knows? So hopefully we get some answers to that soon because it, by all sort of accounts, it looks like they were due to actually release it with uh, last year. So yeah. anyway, I don't want to get you started again. I was so. just say, we know some people at Sky TV, so maybe we should you know, use our industry contacts. That's what happens after 100 episodes. You, know, you ring people, they, they answer the phone. Indeed. Speaking of shows um, getting extra seasons before they've even come out, um, the spin-off show to Vikings, Vikings for Hala, is already prepping for season three before we've even had a season one premiere. So if you're a fan of Vikings and looking forward to the spin-off, that's already great news. Uh, we mentioned several news tests ago that uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever production was halted due to Letitia's, um, Letitia Wright's injury on set. And that has finally started up again. So apparently she suffered some um, a quite a bad concussion and some other injuries. So good to hear that she is on the mend and filming again. 
Um, one other thing I did want to talk about is just, you know, we've been talking a bit about Paramount Plus, we've been talking a lot about Taylor Sheridan, we obviously talk a lot about Yellowstone. I just wanted to talk about a couple of the shows that Taylor Sheridan has underway, um, which are probably going to be coming to Paramount Plus, I imagine. So obviously we've got 1883, uh, which is the, the Yellowstone spin-off slash prequel, hopefully we'll get to see that soon. There's another show um, called The Mirror of Kingstown, which I understand Sylvester Stallone might now be involved in, but wow. basically this is basically um, follows the McCluskey family and their power brokers in Kingston, Michigan, with uh, the business of incarceration and the, and the only thriving industry. And so it's a whole sort of series about systematic racism, uh, corruptions, inequality, and it sort of provides a stark look at the attempt to bring order and justice to a town that has neither. So that sounds right up the sort of Taylor Sheridan sort of wheelhouse. It's going to be interesting. Mm. We've got another show called Landman, set in the proverbial boom towns of West Texas. Landman is a modern-day tale of fortune-seeking in the world of oil rigs. So already sounds good. good. Um, we've got the Yellowstone spin-off, The Four Sixes. So founded when Comanche still ruled the West Texas, no ranch in America is more steeped in the history of the West than the Four Sixes still operating as it did two centuries before and encompassing an entire county. The Four Sixes is where the rule of law and the laws of nature merge in a place where the most dangerous thing does one thing. Um, so well, obviously with the end of Yellowstone, we've just had Jamie going back to the Four Sixes. I can't find anything 100% confirming whether he's going to be in this new TV show, but I think the chances are, are pretty high. Um, then obviously 1983. So... There is some very good things in the works, and all of those, I don't know about you, but sound interesting, gripping, and could be great future binges. As, as much as I would love to watch a Yellowstone series set in 1983, I think the, the 18... Sorry, yeah, 1883. That's definitely yeah. different. I thought you were joking when you mess, we messaged in the week about the Four Sixes TV show. Have I missed the memo on this one? This is a real thing. Wow. Yeah, so exciting. We don't have anything sort of hard and fast yet, but... It is a spin-off, and that's where Jamie's going back to. So it kind of makes perfect sense, and it provides a great crossover for those two shows in the, in the future. This is why we had the whole Jimmy story. This is one of the big reasons now is, is adding that context. It's amazing. Indeed. And that is me for the news this week, Paul. Anything on your end? Uh, no, the main thing I had was the, the Trek news, which you've covered. The season two of The Righteous Gems, that is now dropping weekly episodes uh, here in New Zealand on Neon, I'm I'm quite happy to let that run and then come along and, and scoop up a whole series. I think that was a, a great recommendation that you gave me for season one. I really enjoyed that. So come back for season two. The only other thing I had um, was that they are bringing back, well, not bringing back, they are remaking Quantum Leap, um, a sequel pilot greenlit by NBC. Scott Bakula, Scott Bakula, may be involved set 30 years after the original series um it was one of those series quantum leap that yeah it was a bit of fun it was kind of a it was sort of fun sci-fi it wasn't like a serious like when i watched a star trek or you know a battle star but i'd be really keen to see that i think done well that's that shows a lot of potential with the modern day effects and budgets awesome that's that's all that i have though dan um Take us across to our mailbag for Podcast 100. What have we got here? So, so yes, yeah, so on the subject of the four sixes um, 
our review of the finale of Yellowstone uh, got shared on Twitter by Jefferson White himself, the brilliant, talented actor who plays none other than Jimmy, who brought, as we talked about, so much, so much to season four. I had a great emotional farewell. So that was that was great to have him share our review. Um, from one cowboy to another, Paddy Fox of Candy Kerry. He uh, he enjoyed our review of um, of of Boba Fett, and he dropped us a line to say um, the one thing that sort of stood out for him, sort of um, since Tamura has come back to the role, is that he has made Boba essentially into a a Maori. He handles the Tuscan Raiders gaffy stick like a, a Maori um, Taiaha, and in the episode. Uh, Previously, uh, he was swinging the bone club like it was a a, a mere club. Uh, he loves the law that John Favreau is building. Um, he's making the Tuscans into actual characters. So, a fair fair reflection there, Paddy. That was kind of some of the things that we were talking about last week, and it's uh, fascinating to watch. I hope we see more of that sort of what we saw in that second episode in this this next one. Um, another comment on our Boba Fett, Helen from Wellington. Um, this actually came through after episode three, which of course we haven't um, you know, watched at that point, but I still thought it was interesting. Um, she says, have you noticed how they go from 38 minute episodes to 52 and then back to 38? Does that mean that the next episode will be back up to 52? I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on there being a pattern, but um, I'd like to think so. I much prefer a longer episode. That would be awesome. I, I did note that this episode was, was quite short. Um, so yeah, he's hoping that this week's is a long one, which by the time you're listening to this podcast, you'll already know. Exactly right. Um, and finally, last week's uh, peak performance was Sandra Bullock. Um, we had uh, Ollie from the Bay of Plenty. He went with Bird Box. That is a movie, Dan, that is 100% on my radar. I, I remember mentioning it to you a few weeks ago as a possible movie of the week, but of course you've already seen it. Um, so I think I may watch that in the next week or two. Sador from our Discord, uh, he went with Demolition Man and the Lake House. Uh, Ryan from Oakland also went with um, Demolition Man. As to did Paddy Fox, who included it in his 321 of Miss Congeniality, arguably William Shatner's best role other than Captain Kirk, Demolition Man and The Blind Side. So that, once again, uh, the three people mentioning it has invoked a rewatch clause. I have to say, I reckon I could definitely go rewatch a Demolition Man, but it's been a long while since I've seen that one. Would we finally learn how to use the three seashells? That's the question. I wonder. I will get a lot of those tickets for um, bad language. No mentions for gravity or speed, and so it's good to see people aren't in sync with us. Uh, that's the mailbag, then. Very, very good. So one other thing I just want to give a, a shout out to before we move into our peak performance is we've actually had a special t-shirt made to commemorate our 100th episode of the podcast. So you can find the link to that t-shirt. You can buy it through Teespring uh, down in the show notes below. And I've actually put a, a code on there. So you can use the discount code episode 100 and you'll get 10% off your purchase. Uh, Patreons, there's also a special code from you which we've previously spent out and you'll get 25% off so 
definitely pays to be a Patreon if you can. So go and check out that t-shirt. Let us know what you think. We've tried to include a few pop culture references in there. It's a little bit different from our peak performance t-shirt, but hopefully something a little bit different and a little bit fun. I've seen it. I'm very excited about it. It'll be on our social soon. And I'm still waiting on my discount code. So if you could flick that through, that'll be great. Full price only for you, Paul. Shall we jump on over to our peak performance for this week? Indeed. So just like the movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns each week to choose someone from the movie industry and take a look back at their career and say, what is the best that they've done? This week, Dan, we went with Benedict Cumberbatch. All right. So for my runner-up movie, I'm actually going to go with one that we've recently reviewed here on the podcast. I'm going to go with Benedict's role in The Power of the Dog. So this is another movie that you can watch on Netflix. I just thought this was a fantastic performance by Benedict. He just, you know, brings such a level of power and um character depth to to these roles and I think often that's something that's in my mind is quite hard to do in a in a two-hour movie but I think Benedict did such a fantastic job at this this is my power of the dog is definitely my my runner-up but I can't go past for my number one peak performance is his role as Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe the Doctor Strange movie definitely one of my um you know, up there in my top 10 Marvel movies. I can't wait to see this character come back in another movie this year. We got to see him recently in the latest Spider-Man movie. Fantastic character. I love me a a good space wizard. So, yeah, Power of the Dog and Doctor Strange. I love it. I love – I was real close with Power of the Dog myself. I love it when we've got all different suggestions. That's always a good sign of someone who's just got an extraordinary back catalogue. My honourable mention, uh, I actually in the end settled on going with the uh, 2014 movie, The Imitation Game. Such uh, just incredible, powerful movie, you know, an important moment in history decoding the, the Nazis, uh, what do you call it, the Enigma encryption code. He was great. You know, his, his performance opposite Kira Knightley, um, working alongside uh, Charles Dance and the struggle that he goes through. It is it is a complete performance. It's a very different war movie, you know. Um, it's a very different angle on it, but totally engrossing. And, yeah, as I talk about it now, I'm almost thinking, oh, this almost deserves to be his, his peak performance, to be honest. But I, for me, I, I just could not go past, for me, what was the first role when he came into my knowledge of him and still the best role I've seen him in, and that was Sherlock. And that goes back to 2010 that that started. So goodness me. Um, yeah, just to fully qualify with that answer, this is one of my top 10 TV shows of all time, which of course is the hardest list of all to get onto. Top 10 all time. And it's just immaculate as Sherlock. There are so many great Sherlock characters and, and actors who've played him over the years. But when someone says to me, the name Sherlock Holmes, I in my mind, it's, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, and him, him alongside Madame Freeman as Watson, it's second to none. He was just made for that role. It was written so well for him. And if if you were to say to me, I could have one more season of any TV show that I want, and I have to be reasonable here, I can't say Star Trek the original series because that's the sixties thing. Something that could be quite feasibly done, 
I think this might be the one. That's how much I rate that show and how, how great he is in it. So, yeah, Imitation Game and Sherlock for me. Great choices, Paul. I was so close to picking Sherlock, but I actually haven't seen um, a few of the sort of final episodes. I actually feel like I might need to – I should go back and actually watch the whole lot all over again. It's It's been on my list for a long time to go yeah. and do that with. Yeah, really, really good. And I, just as you were talking about Doctor Strange, it just crossed my mind, of course. I was thinking about you know um, Johnny, Johnny Lee Miller playing Sherlock and then of course Robert Downey Jr. So in Doctor Strange you actually had the two Sherlocks together um, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Fascinating. Well Paul, that probably brings us to the end of episode 100 of the Half Measures podcast. does indeed. Thank you as always for listening in this week and drop us a line. Get in touch. You know, if you've got a movie of the week suggestion or if there's someone you think we should do a, a peak performance for or comments about anything we've reviewed, halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Indeed. And also a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tabner. We couldn't do this without you. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.